Hey everyone, welcome to Meet Sports Alcohol for Monday, April 26th. I'm Dylan. And I'm JMO. Uh, we have a super awesome show for you today. First, we talk with Jake Fisher. He writes for the uh, Rage for Bleacher Report about the NBA and is an author of a new book called Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Has Changed the League Forever. Uh, we do some NBA talk. We talk about his book, the life of being an a writer in the NBA ecosystem, super interesting guy, super fun interview. So you're definitely going to want to stick around for that. Yeah. Pretty fascinating guy making me feel bad about where I'm at with 22. Cause he did some pretty cool things reporting uh, when he was pretty young and this book is just absolutely awesome. Um, so stick around for the interview. Uh, after that, we do some NFL draft scenarios uh, just cause Dylan and I don't think we have some actual insights for <laughs> to preview. We just go through some scenarios. Trevor Lawrence is so good. Urban Meyer gets a heart attack. The Jags don't have a coach. Uh, some interesting Mac Jones potential scenarios. And that's our show. So stick around for that. And take it away, Chet. We now welcome on Jake Fisher. Uh, he writes about the NBA for Bleacher Report and is author of the new book, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Uh, it's available anywhere books are sold, out now for pre-order, and will officially be published May 4th. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Jake. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Of course. Uh, so the first question I had for you and kind of what's been on my mind since I started reading the book since you sent it to us uh, is you kind of talk about how you got started covering the NBA, uh, how yeah. you're kind of floating around Summer League and ended up getting dinner with Sam Hinkie. Uh, and as a college graduate who hasn't done anything nearly that cool, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about like how you managed to swing that as, as an intern in college and kind of the path your uh, career has taken from there. Yeah, um, I, I, this is something I always wanted to do. And I'm a pretty uh, forward, outgoing, personable person, you could say, um, which is both a both a, uh, a positive and a negative sometimes in this business you, know, you don't want to come on too strong as some certain types of people mm-hmm. uh, but i've never been afraid to go up to somebody and say hey you know i'm jake this is what i do um we kind of work in the same space like i'd love to get to know you whatever um that's pretty much what i did and i've always kind of looked older um <laughs> which like helped a lot just in life um in terms of like feeling like I wasn't like, I feel like a lot of people always feel like they're punching up and especially in like competitive industries, like they want to prove themselves as like a young up and comer. Um, and like, I definitely felt that too, but I also didn't feel viewed as that, like physically, if that makes sense. Like even when I was like 19 in college, I think I kind of pulled off being like a 24 year old Ripper staff report. Everyone knew I was young, but I never also like admitted to how old I was. I would like just tell people, like especially when I was like interning in New York at Slam, like, and then I went back to Boston to be a, a, a student at Northeastern, and like people would be like, oh, you are you in New York now? Oh no, I moved to Boston uh, now for the fall. Like I would never say I was going back to school. Yeah, I, I didn't lie to anybody, but I, I definitely withheld the information when I could for sure. Yeah, 
awkward uh, when you had dinner with Sam and uh, the waiter asked for your ID. You had to show yeah. fake ID. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there was definitely times where I would go out with people where people would say, hey, let's grab a beer sometime. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe we can do coffee or something like that. Yeah, yeah. coffee would be great too. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the book then, is that is can, your inspiration for this book? Um, is this something that you had been thinking about writing for a while since you kind of like yeah. got into covering the NBA when this whole tanking era kind of took place? Um, yeah. How did you get the inspiration for the book? Yeah, I write about this pretty much in the prologue where it talks about how I grew up in Philly. Um, definitely a huge Citrus fan as a kid. I mean, now that has definitely sapped um, during my time covering the league. It just like is what it is. It's, it's like cloning cliche to say, but like you just kind of, at least I think you, you kind of have to become objective to get to know people in this business and cover the league. Like I'm writing a story tomorrow for the Knicks or for about the Knicks for Bleach Report tomorrow. Um, and like I was hanging out with a friend, we went for a, a distance walk this afternoon. Um, and he was like, well, 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 what's your take? And I'm like, well, I don't really have a take. Like my job is to, at least how I view it is to just report thing like 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 truly as an unbi- as an unbiased narrator kind of of like the NBA being a story even though it's like a real thing you know um so I was I was from Philly covering the Sixers for Liberty Ballers I was living in Boston going to school I was moonlighting at night with a credential from Slam at TD Garden while they were both doing the same thing and when those teams would meet it felt like a mini Super Bowl of like tanking like they were these old school rivals, you know, now they're about to like, and they, they'd had that 2012 Eastern conference semifinals game seven. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was kind of like a, that's a kind of like a cult classic, like favorite playoff series that second round after uh, Derek Rose got hurt. So like whenever I was there covering those games, it just felt like a thing. And whenever, I mean, I wear an Eagles hat a lot. I'm wearing one right now. Um, I'm definitely still an Eagles fan. Um, <laughs> like going to shoot rounds and stuff. I think it kind of even like helps players sometimes even remember who I am. Um, or if like I tell someone I'm from Philly, whatever, growing up, not growing up, but as I was coming up, people would always say something to me about the process and like ask my opinion on it or whatever. And it was such a thing. I was like, what, like when people, when you're reporting and people start to tell you the same story over and over again, that's when you know, like you're starting to get all you can get and you're getting like real confirmed fully rounded things when people start telling you the same thing about just like general concepts for that that like our potential story ideas that's when you're to me the light bulb goes off i'm like oh this could be a thing i really should explore further yeah well not to i'm sorry go ahead don no no no, go for it well i was gonna say you know you're saying everyone kind of asked you about the 76ers um throughout the process that is kind of exactly what i also wanted to do <laughs> I, was no, I, to mean, do. I, I mean i literally wrote a book about it so I'm yeah, yeah. you're the expert the questions. <laughs> well how do you feel at this point in it like is this an example of tanking as a success did it take too long uh did the process prove worthy do they need to win a championship for it to officially be a success like what's your t- yeah. what is your opinion on it yeah, I mean, I, I definitely wrote the book, including other teams like the Lakers handling old Kobe, the Celtics rebuilding off on the big three, because people forget that Boston traded KG and Paul Pierce to Brooklyn the same night that Philly traded, that Hinky traded Drew Holiday to New Orleans, um, and also include Hennigan's, uh, Rob Hennigan's Orlando Magic, because they're all tied with that Andrew Bynum trade with Dwight Howard. 
Phoenix because, you know, they sent Steve Nash to L.A. the same time that um, Dwight, uh, Dwight arrived there. So there are all these different examples of how teams were rebuilding with these analytical-minded executives. You throw in Ryan McDonough, you throw in Pete D'Alessandro going to Sacramento. So I wanted to tell this story as like an anecdotal history of like different case studies, if you will, of like how to rebuild and from different starting points too, to show that there is no one real way to do it. There's all these different methodologies, even the same type of idea, building through the draft, focusing on getting superstar players together. There's different paths and there's, you know, lottery luck and other chances that play in factor that show how complicated it truly is. So with Philly, I mean, all those teams, honestly, outside of not all those teams, but a lot of those teams, Phoenix, um, with Devin, they didn't think it'd be Devin Booker, but you know they got their guy and they, you know, they built slowly around it. Boston, you know, they've had a complicated year this year, but they have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Philly, to get back to your question, I mean, I think for three bad years to come away now with a perennial 50-win team, right now they're the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, even with this super team in Brooklyn and everything happening with Giannis, and Bead is arguably the MVP. Um, I mean, honestly. You know, throw, call me a Philly bias, but I, I I really value the defensive side of the ball in those certain equations. And, like, I think his argument that he keeps – he's doing a big media tour right now, if you guys haven't noticed, um, going around on all everyone's podcast talking about you know, how he's the MVP. I mean, it's a concerted effort. Um, I mean, his argument is that he does it on both sides of the floor, unlike Jokic, and he's not wrong. And Ben Simmons is, is, you know, phenomenal on that side of the ball, too. Two, two-time All-Star, I believe. They've got, you know, complimentary pieces now. Obviously, that's kind of the big question mark of, of how Hinky's tenure would have resulted if he stayed in place, right? He never got to do the moves that, you know, Darren Morey did. He never got to add to those pieces. All that being said, to have two, 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 two superstars, like those guys are legit. They're showing Daryl's showing that you can make a couple of trades, and those building blocks are so important. You just have a contender ready made, and you can throw Nerlens and, and Jaleel and MCW back in their face, but they never like claimed they were going to get every pick right. They just they they intentionally wanted Sam intentionally wanted as many darts to throw at the dartboard, and two of them stuck, and now they're the number one team in the East. Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting that like. Sam was kind of like the sacrificial lamb that yeah. he took the hit for all that. And now like they're seeing the success. I mean, like, do you think that he is kind of resentful of seeing all this success? No, I, th- I think I don't want to speak too much for him. Right. Yeah. I, my, my, I would think that he's very, for my, for my, my perception of is that he's really happy with the success partially because there's a lot of people there that he still really cares about. He's close with Joel. I mean, Daryl's a good friend of his. But other players, and, like, there are, good, there are a lot of holdovers from Brett Brown's staff on the player development team that he helped hire. Um, also, it does reflect well on him, too. I mean, he – he, I, I know he – I mean, I wrote about it in the epilogue. He doesn't um, – doesn't sit well with him that he's been labeled by so many as this polarizing, I mean, figure that is worthy of being this main character of a book. Right. And he's wishes. I, I think that people gave more attention to the work he did in Houston. He spent almost a decade there as Dale's right-hand man, you know, making moves like building around Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming and collecting the assets after they moved on from those two guys well, never missing the playoffs, really. They did every now and then, but they were, you know, still in the playoff picture, and then they got the assets to land James Harden. 
And, and that's that work, that 17 step PowerPoint he showed Joshua Harris and Sixers ownership is what got him the job. So I think he would prefer his Houston legacy to be more public and more considered and not just be the Sixers general manager who was that kooky guy at the process. Do you think he'll he'll get another shot? I think he probably – I don't know for sure. But I think he probably already has been offered chances at least to get back in the league. I don't think he will come back. I, th- I mean, he's very involved in – He's on hedge fund now. It might be a venture capital. I don't know the difference. I'm not a big finance guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we don't uh, know the difference either. We, yeah, we we like sticking to sports. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's called 86 Capital, I believe. And um, he's always been fascinated in in that tech world. And um, he's from the Bay Area originally. Um, and he has an MBA. And I don't know what, but he was um, – I should, probably should know that. Um, but that, that when he got the job in Houston, he was still flying back and forth once a week to um, to Stanford to do to finish up his grad school classes. So he's always been one of those hustler type fascinated by tech. Like he was always including I mean, there's one detail in the book about um, how he integrated Slack, <clears throat> excuse me, into their front office. And like that's a tool designed to be an internal messaging system for multimedia companies. But he was doing it and installing bots that would update every day with the stats of international prospects they were tracking. And he created a channel where any staffer who wasn't on the Sixers bench could write their in-game thoughts like a running diary. Like, why did we not take that? Why did we take that long two there? Like, what a terrible pass. Like, why are we sitting him now? And they would collect that data and give it right back to Brett, like immediately Brett Brown, before he even went back to talk to the team. Like he would get a box score and a recap of that whole Slack channel. And like, that's just a way he was, he was always fascinated by using technology to maximize their, you know, work and their evaluations. So the fact he's doing that stuff now, I, I think makes sense. I think it's a natural pivot being that I think he came to the conclusion as we saw in his resignation letter that like, working for an owner in a sports team is a fickle situation. And, you know, I think he, he operates best with full agency. You know, I'm watching billions right now. And if you guys have like, like the agency, the Bobby Axelrod is able to work with, I'm not saying Sam's going to pay off people to the yada yada, but the ability to just make decisions and pivot because of your gut instinct and you believe in people and you think that you're, you know, got a competitive edge with your intellect. I mean, I think that's the way he operates. Well, it's uh, it's funny you say that he was uh, technologically technologically inclined because you know Brian Colangelo is also kind of technologically inclined too in his own way. <laughs> you know, he's pretty, pretty savvy. <laughs> Good stuff, Don. What kind of what kind of falls short of his uh, end of his tenure? I'll say that. I, I feel I, like I, I feel I like thought, I thought that was too in the weeds to. Uh... <laughs> To, to keep going there. I so. think you could write a whole book on his burner accounts. Too. I was going to say, that's the follow-up. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, built to lose you, too. Yeah. <laughs> the rise and fall of Colangelo. <laughs> um, do you think, so while you're talking there, I was just wondering, like, I'm sure these GMs feel that obviously they know what's best. Like their strategies are unmatched. And if they think that, it, you know, the long the strategy long run should be to tank. They, sh- they should tank. Do you think a team's success in some ways is held back by the fact that they have to, you know, report to the owners. They ultimately work for the owners. They don't want to put like a horrible team out to the fans. 
Uh, and that if the GMs were kind of like let to do what they want to do completely and not have an accountability to like the owner or fans, that these strategies like tanking would pay off even further uh, or that we kind of need like checks and balances when it comes to a front office. Yeah, I mean, the NBA at the, at the end of the day is a business and the, and that that flows from top on down. I mean, it, it's a case by case basis. You know, every owner is different. Every team is different. You know, look mm-hmm. at certain situations like in San Antonio. I mean, the, the really successful organizations basketball wise are typically set up in a way where even if the owner does get a little bit meddlesome, they're ultimately willing to pay to support, you know, a competitive roster. And they ultimately are willing to b- believe and trust in their basketball people. Um, but also, you know, every situation has different um, circumstances like a lot of franchises some executives tell me that like they don't even have a goal they don't even know what they're trying to do they're just like treading water pretty much they're trying to figure mm-hmm. it out and there are other organizations where like we are winning championships like we are competing to win championships there are other organizations that say we just want to be in the playoffs we just want to make that gate money we want to be competitive we want to be able to sell a, a vision to our fans that like any given wednesday night you show up at 7 30 we have a chance to win tonight. So it, rain, it, it ranges across the board. And I think that's why we see sometimes a, a general manager like Masai Ujiri leave Denver to go to Toronto, let's say, for example, something like that, where, you know, different ownership situations can lead to different things. And I think Denver's like, this is the, a totally different topic that's in the book, but just the example that came to mind. I think Denver's responded in kind. I think the Cronkies are paying up for this roster. I mean, Jamal didn't get hurt which was unfortunate. I mean, they were going to have a year and a half to see how that four-player tandem were going to be. And by all accounts, they were going to be willing to pay for it. So I, I think and ultimately, yes, like every front office wants full transparency from their owner and they want to be able to like work and make moves that they define necessary. But like sometimes you got to cut, do a move to cut your tax bill, like the Celtics trading Daniel Tice uh, to Cleveland or uh, or to Chicago or the Warriors, you know, or the, the, the Blazers went down underneath the tax this year because they're going to have to be in the tax like the next couple of years. Like sometimes you got to do that because your owner is not Joe Sire or, or, or Joe Lacob. So there's definitely some varying circumstances uh, that impact all those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, how often I, for just for the record, I feel like Tice is awful. I feel like they <laughs> got better by getting him off the bus, not just paying him. It's a level center, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just as you were talking there, and so just another question that I had from reading your book is like, how often when you talk to front offices or when you talk to people around the NBA, is there yeah. actually consensus about a move? Like one of the ones that you talked about was overpaying yeah. Kobe Bryant like mm-hmm. towards the end of his career. I feel like when that happened and now you know, looking back at his production over those two years that he got paid, it's like, okay, you obviously overpaid there. Yeah. Um, is that something that happens frequently or is everyone just like, yeah. you know, stating their opinions after the facts when they're already right in these cases? Yeah. Well, this is again, a situation where it's like a case by case basis. Like some teams keep their decision-making tree small and they're like, all right, these are our top four or five decision-makers that we group in on everything. Your, your president, your GM, your assistant general managers, your director of player personnel, that's it. Your director of pro scouting or whatever. Other teams really super inclusive. Like they'll send even down to their low, their low level scouts and say, Hey, you know, we're thinking about trading for, 
you know, this backup point guard, you know, do some Intel work on him, like see, see what you can get back. And then they'll go to the analytics department and say, you know, we're comparing these three point guards, you know, they're not going to give them the right answer. They don't want to see which, like how that person stacks up so that that analytics guy comes back with, you know, a, a non-biased uh, results. And then they'll ask another analyst guy, another and another VP of scouting, and another you know director, player personnel, whatever. And they'll really include a lot of people, and those people are all reporting up to their top guy, and then those top guys bring that. So to answer your long answer is, a lot of those people who are doing the work down below, the analytics people, the intel people, they're making their opinions, but their opinions don't actually matter as much. Like mm-hmm. they. They report back to the top people and they influence the top people. But a lot of those people aren't like the people, a lot of people who have an opinion who sometimes tell me things and I'm able to like characterize how the franchise is thinking. Like they won't actually get to raise their hand and have a vote, but their work and their opinion does have a factor. Is that, does that make sense? It does. And that would be me. If I were to an NBA team, I'd be like a low level analytics person and then just talk to every press person possible and say that I knew what was going to happen and speak for the organization. That seems like the person that I'd, I'd want to be. But um, yeah, no, that, that does make sense. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think most people, when they do talk to me, and I, I've always tried to maintain a concept of like, I'm not out here to get anybody. Like, I'm not a gotcha take artist person you know, I'm, I'm really just trying to find out as much as i can and you know tell it to the public um and not anything like snoopy sometimes you know if there is something that smells you know you got to fish it out but um most of the time you know i'm just trying to find out what happened you know a lot of people like want to ask these questions that i get to ask so that's kind of how I view what I'd want to do. Um, so most people also, when they're talking to me, don't want to just like sway me wrong um, intentionally. Sometimes they do, but most people know that like I'm, I'm com- I get, like to help get the story, like, I'm writing this story. So t- to help get the story out there accurately, like I'm coming to you for your perspective. You don't have to help, but that's why I'm talking to you. I'm not here to like to carry your water or get your messaging out there i'm writing this as like an objective observer but like it will only be more thorough and detailed and accurate if you if you tell if you help me out this is actually this is kind of um taking a bit of a step back but just about like your role generally um like so like i i know like shams got his start just like traveling to the summer league kind of just like hanging out around people, making connections. Like, I'm, I'm curious to hear just more about your insights on, you know, your role, your day-to-day, who you talk to, how you kind of go about your process of, of yeah. writing and, and basically like what's a, a typical day because it, there's so much information that goes around and like, yeah. is it, is it casual? Is it, kind of more formal just i you know i'd just love to hear a little bit more about yeah. that a, a list of who you talk to with their positions yeah. and yeah. phone numbers yeah exactly yes yeah. if, if you could get us if you could get us daryl maury's phone number that would be great um, <laughs> no, he has no, no. five different phone numbers so if i give you i'm one, sure you're probably not gonna get him anyway i'm sure um, <laughs> it was different pre-covid of course totally um, yeah i live in new york primarily not primarily one of the one of the top reasons why i live in new york the, the, the top reason is that it's the best city in the world. But one of the top yeah. reasons is that you know, there's two teams here. So 
every team has to play every team on a regular season. You know, every Eastern Conference team plays both those teams twice here, and every Western Conference team goes each team once. So I'm getting each team in the city at least twice a year. And when they do that, you know, there's shoot around in the morning at a local school or at the arenas. Um, and then most teams after morning shoot around have their afternoon pretty free. So I'll go to a shoot around. I'll like, I'll see some coaches that this is, I'll backtrack from like to how you got there, I guess. Cause I think that's part of your question too. Um, you know, I'll see a couple assistant coaches. I know exec, whatever player do um, at the shoot around. I mean, I don't really like hang out. I don't hang out with players, um, but like, Coaches and execs that you see there, you know, you're texting as they're coming, they're coming into town, like, hey, let's grab lunch. If you want to grab lunch or grab a beer or grab a coffee, whatever. Um, I've, been over, I've been over 21. For, yeah, I was about to say, yeah, you can grab a beer now. <laughs> you couldn't in, back in the day. Exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been, it, it, it's been like a routine of like, most people are just like, want to just want to talk who like most people in the league just love basketball. Honestly, like way more than I do. Like I used to think I loved it as much as these people do. Now it's just like a job for me. And like, I'm really happy. I get to like not have a real job. Um, but these guys like live and breathe it and like can't shut up about it. So like, honestly, it's really not that hard to just be like a good person and like not annoying or lame or weird or like <laughs> whatever. And um just like be around them and ask smart questions and have fun, whatever. And like, I never treated anybody in, in business. Like they're like someone that was above me or like, I needed to get their information. And I just always been like, Hey man, like I'm here. Like nice to meet you. Um, and I think that's really worked for me. Um, I went down, I started interning at slam um, in 2013 after my freshman year of college. And you know, I was just sitting in the back corner of the office. Like they really, they, they pretty much told me on my first day, like we don't have anything for you to do. Like we'll come around every now and then, but like this internship is for you to make it what you want it to be. So take advantage of it. So um, I did that in a couple of ways. And one of them was um, I used some like leftover airline points from family vacations when I was a kid to fly down to Orlando to go to summer league because no one was going. And like, they didn't really need me to be in the office anyway, like they said. And um, I put myself up in this hotel, like down the street from the arena, like walked, like I didn't take Ubers or cabs to like save money and um, was just there on, on press row. And like, when you're in that, I wrote about it in the prologue of the book, like when you're there, like you and you have a credential on your, around your neck, like you, you're not 19. Like we talked about at the top, like you're just there with slam magazine. So um, and I just used, I, I just used any like social skills that, I have developed over the years, just like striking up conversations with people, not in like an overbearing way. And just like over time, you keep showing up and you keep coming back and you keep having smarter conversations and you get better. And like people see that. And um, also like, I've always tried to find different stories. Like I've never, I've never been a, a, a beat writer. That's not like, not, not to, to throw any shade on what those guys do, but I've always tried to, find a different story my my i had a really amazing high school journalism advisor who is partially who uh, the book is dedicated to greg gagliardi of cherry hill east um he taught he taught us back and the paper has been the best paper in new jersey for like 11 straight years now it's crazy um he taught us that like if you don't have anything new then you don't have a story so i was always trying to find different stuff and that a lot of time i don't really write about basketball like the book doesn't really talk that much about what happens during the games 
So um, I think in relating to people that in that sense, in terms of just like asking about their life and their interests and their relationships, like you end up getting to know these people better too. And like when I was working on the book, I was finding out these stories from these teams. Like when I call like the fifth player and tell them about something, they had like forgotten about it completely. I like reminded them of everything. I was almost like I was now a part of the memory. And like that, those moments are pretty cool when like you're on the phone with Spencer Hawes and he's like, man, wow, man, that's a cool story, man. Like, man, I forgot about that. Like, thank you for bringing that up, man. Like that's, that's to me what like is really what's the job. Those moments are what I get excited about. So I think that's like translated to making relationships with people. And like, I'm not Shams or Woj. Like I'm never going to be the guy chasing news like that. I mean, I was, and I am at certain points when I feel like I'm close on something, but like, you're really never going to beat those guys. Take your hat off to them. So like, found a different route and like I don't want to be texting people 85 times a day getting that info and I don't want people feeling like they owe me things um but I think um there's nothing wrong with that approach that's just the way I've that's just the route I've taken honestly I think that's probably the right call because I think being Shams or Woj would be the most exhausting job on the face of the earth like you're just constant like being a newsbreaker seems like it would just be draining I mean, trade deadline and draft week are always crazy for me. Um, yeah. It's this year, Wednesday night, um, I teach a, a, a writing workshop virtually 6.30, 7.30 on Wednesdays. And then I was leaving for an 8 p.m. dinner reservation with uh, my girlfriend for my birthday the night before the trade deadline. And um, the trade deadline was my birthday. And um, right, like in that 15-minute window – like I was writing it, I was making calls and writing it on my phone in the Uber. I like kind of broke that Aaron Gordon was probably going to head to the Nuggets that Wednesday night, yeah. um, like in the Uber. Like I wrote that in the Uber. So that's like fun every, every once in a while. Um, and But then again, like Shams or Woj broke the actual trade. Like I, I put it out there first. Like the other people gave me credit for that and like, that was a nice little pat in the back. I didn't break the actual trade, you know? So that, that, yeah. that, 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 right, that right there is a perfect example of like that dynamic. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll run a, some. That P- is awesome, though. <laughs> yeah. We'll run some PR. For, we'll use our Meat Sports Alcohol channels. Next time you have a lead like that, we'll make sure it's Yeah. We'll make sure it's breaking from us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Breaking our... from Jake Fisher and Meat Sports Alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we have that poll. <laughs> um, like you were saying before, like to me, just what you were saying about being able to talk to these players and front office people, like they love basketball so much. Uh, those conversations just sound like incredible to me just yeah. to be able to have. Uh, at the same time, though, I feel like hour two of hearing about the true shooting percentage of some like 11th man on a roster might thing. get exhausting. Yeah, um, they don't talk about that. They don't talk about that. Like some people do. I mean, like – I made a – there are different conversations that happen. They're, they're, not, they're not saying one's better than the other, but there's a different conversation when you're at a bar with eight NBA writers and a bar with eight people who work in the NBA. Hmm. They're, they're not as much like, here's my evidence to prove to you that I, my opinion is good. And that's what writing and, and, and criticism is, right? It's like, I have an opinion and like, in order to tell you why it's good, here's my whole reasoning why. The conversations that you have with people who work in the league are more like circumstantial and anecdotal. Like 
mean, man, like Julius Randall this summer, man, he was coming in late night. Like he was fucking grinding, man. Can we curse on this? Sorry. Of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're totally yeah. fine. <laughs> and fucking grinding here, man. Like the shot, like I know, I know the data says that it was like, uh, it, it's rare. Like it doesn't mean it's probably, no, man, this guy is a fucking hustler, man. Like puts the team on his, he's the first one. Like, it's it's I'm not saying it's not substantial, but there's more like I can tell you I come in and I see him do like three this drill and this that and you know like Michael like there's a good example in the book about Michael Carter Williams um, when Sixers staffers were coming in to ask the coaches before that deadline in 2015 like what do you think of Michael Carter Williams like we're thinking about trading him um, one of the things a coach told me was like rebounding for him was awful. Not, no, 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 no shade to Michael Carter Williams, but like most NBA players, most good shooters, you got to miss longer, you miss short. With MCW would either go to the left, they go to the right, we go up top, we go, you know, like that is what I'm talking. Like that's a different, that's just a great basketball guy way to, to say that like he's not a great shooter. Yeah. <laughs> and also like everyone loves to talk shit about like, oh this guy like this guy's a drinker, like oh this guy you know is really like. So at a certain point, like I know different characteristics of people in the league now, and you're able to just like, I'm, 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 I have a role in the NBA ecosystem at this point. Like I am, I'm a person with some Intel. I'm a person who is a storyteller and I know people and people know me and like, I'm able to talk some shit about some people and they're able to talk some shit about me. And I have inside joke tech chains with like a couple NBA scouts, like that type of stuff. So some of my best friends are, you know, coaches in the league and front office guys. So it just, yeah, I guess that's, that's our rambling answer. <laughs> well, whoever that, uh, that GM was that said that stuff about Julius Randall, he, he, he may have been onto something. He, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's looking pretty good. Yeah. Um, so that's funny that you say about the like uh, anecdotal stuff about the the players. Um, I, I, so I'm a Miami Heat fan, uh, and I got to know: is the South Beach flu a real thing? And if so, who is like the the biggest culprit of of being of falling down with the South Beach flu? South South Beach flu meaning like going like out, going out and being yeah. hung over for your games. Yeah, everyone, I mean everyone talks about eleven as, as like the club that it happens. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's a great story in my book that uh, not in Miami in LA that the Suns that those 2013 14 Suns that were supposed to be tanked they were supposed to be worse than Hanky Sixers, but they ended up you know rallying together and being that 48 win team that almost made the playoffs. But they part of the reason why. They didn't make it was because they had like an overnight stay in Los Angeles where they had like a game against the Lakers and a game against the Clippers. And they went out both nights before and lost both games. And Marquise Morris told me, it was like LA nightlife is undefeated, man. It's undefeated. So it's real. Like God, I mean, look what happened not to laugh about, it, but Sterling Brown and KPJ just now, like someone actually, I have a buddy in the league who's a video coordinator for a team. I'm not going to say who, they're in Miami last week or so, and uh, or two weeks or so. I don't know what is time these days. Yeah, and he sent me a picture, a, a snap, a Snapchat, the geotag from Miami. They were like my favorite city, and I said like everyone's favorite city. And he said, "Yeah, what a what a home court advantage." <laughs> it's true. It's true. It was always it's always great when uh, 
when James Harden comes to town because you know that he's about to shoot 30% because he's yeah. hung over his shit. <laughs> yeah, like that's the kind of stuff that guys in the league talk about. Like New Orleans would always, t- like New Orleans people t- would tell me all the time that like they kind of have a home court advantage because it's not the Garden or Miami or LA. People don't, opponents don't get up to play in front of New Orleans. Mm. But sometimes they could like jump on teams because they were sleepy and in the bayou and chilling and like they weren't ready to play. So that, that stuff like that, you know, like I, or even the jazz, I've, I've just had someone heard told me recently, the jazz don't really play games on Sundays because of because the Mormons. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, that's a big thing with scheduling and a lot of the jazz's primetime games. They can't play that Sunday three thirty game on ABC. They just can't do it. Interesting. Um, I don't know if this is something we can do. We didn't really plan this beforehand, but you're just saying you kind of have a good feel of different players around the league and kind of get an impression of their character and things like that. Could Dylan and I just throw out some names of players that we wonder about and you could just kind of let us know what the impression is around the league, if they're chill, if they're big partiers, things like that? Yeah, we'll see what I can do. All right, all right. This is one that I just need to know. Devin Booker, is he cool? Kind of seems like he's not cool. So honestly, I think when Devin came into the league, he's like right around my age. Um, I think when he came into the league, he was kind of like a bratty little kid and a little bit of punk. And I think he's like really matured into like a dude. Like, I think he's like, I think he's business and like that guy gets fucking work done. And like, I mean, he dates like a Jenner, right? So like he definitely can get after it and he should be. He's like tall and handsome and like really good. Like get after it, my guy. But uh, I think he's definitely, like, grown in terms of being, like, a professional. And, like, that's a credit to him and definitely a credit to he was, like, a punk, I think, when he came into the league. Yeah, his, his that 2K competition they did at the start of the pandemic just made me hate him. He just seemed, like, extremely pompous and cocky. Maybe he deserves to be Listen, listen, cocky, you can't but, be that uh, good if you don't, if you're not. That's true. That's, that's fair. fair. Uh, speaking of people that uh, are often seen as – a bit cocky uh tyler hero hmm. <laughs> i haven't interacted with him okay honestly. yeah I, I i couldn't give you a fair assessment i mean i know he's like a great sense of he was a really great sense of uh debate or spark whatever the expression is uh of debate this year in the whole kyle larry trade talk right like people are like oh like, what do you think about tyler hero like i think he's pretty polarizing some people think he's the next Devin booker other people think he's the next tim hardaway jr so it's definitely interesting to hear how people talk about him in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. He always gets the, the Booker comps, which I feel like is potentially a little unfair to him because yeah, Devin Booker's really fucking good. So <laughs> Booker is a bad dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about Carl Anthony Towns? I like Carl Anthony Towns. Um, I, I think there are definitely questions about him in terms of can he be a winning player in the league? Absolutely. But I think everyone likes the guy. Um, he's always been really nice to me. I met him in 2013. He was in high school. There's a picture of fat 19 year old me interning at slam, like on Twitter somewhere interviewing Carl when he's like 16. Um, and uh, he's an Eagles fan. Um, he's a good dude. I mean, he's, I, I think he's been in a tough spot um, being that, that whole situation, just injuries and other weird shit that's always been going on in Minnesota, the whole Tibbs dynamic. Um, 
you know, it'll be interesting to see like what they can be next year. You know, they're going to probably get another top pick here, a full off season where they can like have Chris Finch um, really get established there and, and start building, you know, his program and not just taking over randomly in the middle of the year. Um, not randomly, but the start date was random. Let's say um, it could have happened before the year started. It could have happened this summer, but uh I'll, I'll be curious to see how that situation unfolds with him moving forward. Well, I will work tirelessly to try to find that picture somewhere on Twitter. And if we can find <laughs> it, maybe post it uh, as a little promo okay, for this episode. Yeah, I'm not hiding it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I feel like, so have you interacted with Zion at all? He seems really nice. From a distance. He's a nice guy. He's yeah. A nice guy. Yeah. yeah, like surprisingly nice for his level of fame and stature. Yeah, I, I think he's starting to uh, he's starting to get a little um, hardened by the experience. Um, but also, when you catch him <laughs> being day, on the Pelicans, you mean? <laughs> no, just being in a being a pro and yeah. being at that level, you know, you get subjected to scrutiny, and his body always gets talked about, like. Obviously, like, imagine if everyone in the everyone in the country had an opinion on your ass. You know, <laughs> people talk about it. So, I think that type of it is stuff is starting to get to him at certain times. But it seems like he's handling it all pretty well. And I think uh, I think he's been a good ambassador publicly for New Orleans too. I think he's handled being the franchise guy pretty admirably so far for a, such a young kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last one and. I feel I hope I'm right about him because I've kind of been a hater for a while. Trey Young. Is Trey Young cool? Um, I've had a really nice interaction with Trey. Oh, um, darn it. <laughs> but you know, there, there there are some people who uh are wondering if he can be a winning player as well. Um, and the defense is uh, you know, obviously questionable. Um, but I like I like Trey's dad a lot. Um, talked to Ray for a couple times. Um, I don't know. I, I think I think Trey is a nice dude, but I also definitely think just like all these guys, you got to be a cocky guy. You got to be a yeah. You got to have some asshole in you to be a killer. To be to be able to score thirty points in an NBA game, you got to think you can score thirty points in an NBA game. And if either of you said to your friends, "I think I could score thirty points in an NBA game," then I'll think you're fucking crazy. So we have said some stupid stuff on this podcast though. I that, that would be probably the stupidest thing though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember I feel like Trey Young just had that thing where he was posting like all those Snapchat stories of him just like forcing the people around him to do push-ups all summer, like during the pandemic. And it was like that guy doesn't seem cool. Um, but anyway, thanks so much for joining us, Jake. Um, this is really a blast. Again, you, you get the book, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Taking Era Changed the League Forever. Uh, anywhere books are sold. Uh, but thanks again. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. My, my last selling point to the public is, um, you know, like we've talked about, I'm a reporter and I find new information. And I, I really think that, you know, over 90% of the book is full of new scenes, new details, new rumors, new stories from, you know, the KG Paul Peter Celtics to early Brad Stevens stuff to Kobe and 
his softest Charmin toilet paper practice. I got that whole story to crazy Kings, DeMarcus Cousins, Vivek Ramadive, like crazy, crazy drama, Sixers stuff, Phoenix stuff, Sun stuff, Cavs, LeBron stuff, some Kevin Love, like partying in Boston stories, like all this stuff, secret pre-draft workouts. So there's going to be a lot of info that would make NBA Twitter, you know, freak out. That would be you know, good for memes and, and all that shit. That uh, that you won't find if you don't buy this book. So that's my sell. That's my selling pitch. Love that. Great pitch. I call upon all nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers. Now watch this drive. Hey you, yeah you, got Bush. You definitely do if you haven't tried the best product from our sponsor today, Manscaped. After using these life-changing products you're going to want to join a ball sack beauty contest. I'm looking out for you too, because I also have an exclusive 20% off discount uh, using the promo code meet at checkout at manscaped.com. You are not going to want to miss out on this offer. Last week, I told people to send you pictures of their ball sacks. (laughs) Let me reset that. The flooded. Yeah, I got flooded with ball sacks this week. Really? Oh, yeah. 100%. Oh, okay. Keep it coming, guys. Don't slip <laughs> on the ice at Instagram. On Instagram. Yep. Yeah. Uh, join in the Ball Sack Beauty Contest. Yeah. And send in that. Uh, I was going to say the Manscapes, they've done such a good job, you know, fixing hairy balls, fixing chafing, just all the below the waist men's issues. They need to start fixing other things. I mean, it seems like they're really good at, at fixing shit. Uh-huh. What about like hangovers? Yeah. Can the they economy. come up with a solution? <laughs> the economy, the healthcare, yeah, healthcare yeah. system. Uh-huh. Uh, specifically to me right now, it'd be great if they could fix sunburn mm. and hangover and mm. fatigue, dehydration, yeah, dehydration, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. forgetfulness. Forget. <laughs> nice. I forgot a lot of things this weekend. I I don't know if that would that uh. Yeah, brain regeneration. Yeah, after alcohol, <laughs> alcohol after abuse. Drinking. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. In the meantime, <laughs> they've really fixed uh, men's blow the waist grooming. So go to manscaped.com. You get twenty percent off and free shipping with code meat. That's twenty percent off and free shipping with code meat at manscaped.com. Go get yourself a lawnmower 3.0 today. Damn, shoddy. Dude, I got to work in my cardinese. We're now going to do some NFL draft scenarios. Uh, we thought it'd be good to do a little preview, but like we say often, Dylan and I don't know that much. Uh, so way better version. Let's do some NFL draft scenarios. Just funny shit that could happen. Yeah. yeah. And if any of these do come to life, we'll be the first ones that said it. What would be great is if some of these things do happen and we have an NFL draft analyst as our guest next week. We do have. Uh, yeah. And we could just be like, yo, we called this shit. We called it. Yeah. Looking at the scenarios we have, I would be some of them are surprised. I'd some of them are long burners. So they're not going to take it play off necessarily right away. But talk to us like five, 10 years down the road. It could happen. Yep. All right, well, let's start with the first one. This is what I think America wants. This is what America needs. Uh, This is actually super realistic. The 49ers take Mac Jones at three, and Mac Jones just sucks ass. Uh, And then Justin Fields and everyone else in the draft is quite good, and they just look like idiots. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't see any scenarios where Mac Jones doesn't suck ass. I think this is like the one lock that we have out of all of these scenarios. The lock of the century? Yeah, yeah. Mac Jones sucking ass. All right, all right. So lock that one in. Yeah, um, yeah. Another draft scenario. Mac Jones gets taken by the Patriots, comma, is Tom Brady. He just becomes Tom Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah. I, I also think, so I think there's basically two scenarios here. It's that uh, Mac Jones sucks ass or he gets drafted by the Patriots and it's Tom Brady. There's no other, that's it. Yeah, if you're Mac Jones, you really have to be praying that you get picked by the Patriots because yeah. you're not going to be good on any other teams. Imagine no. he ends up on like the Bears. Oh God, oh my God. <laughs> I hope he does. Maybe the worst quarterback of all time. Mac Jones and the Bears would be horrific. Dude, Mac Jones, Andy Dalton quarterback competition would be (laughs) one of the most hilarious quarterback competitions of all time. That's that's not even like a competition. It's like no. (laughs) It's like you and me having a quarterback competition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Uh, Which one would you go to next? I was going to go, okay, so I was going to say next scenario. Um, so analytics Twitter, NBA, NFL Twitter, basically says that running backs are worthless, right? So the scenario is no running backs get drafted the entire draft, not a single one. Every running back, Najee Harris ends up being a Hall of Famer, undrafted running back, massive chip on his shoulder. Yeah, no, I mean – it's looking that way. Yeah. Not that they're going to go undrafted. <laughs> undrafted. It's gonna looking, no, it's looking that not a single running back is going to get drafted. <laughs> uh, it would be nice, though, like miniature version of this uh, scenario, is that just all the running backs that get taken just have extremely long careers and are like invaluable players. They're just incredible. Um I'm kind of praying for that just because I want more running backs back in the mix at the top of the draft. Yeah. But I'm anti running back. So you are? Oh, yeah. Big time. You're just a big analytics guy. Yeah. I love analytics. You think you're smarter than that? How do you have I that? I do take? think I'm sorry. I do. Think How I'm do you have that take else. and then also disagree with my take that CMC sucks? Oh, well, running backs in general suck. It's just not specific to CMC. Yeah, but he was I mean, picked. Wasn't he one? Two? Where was he picked in the draft? No. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. It wasn't one or two, though. That is for sure. Eight. There we go. Too high. (laughs) Too high, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you should take a running back in the first four rounds of the draft. Let's play... It's like taking a kicker in the first round. This is a fun game. Let's play who got picked in the draft in what order. I'm yeah, looking okay. at the list right now. <laughs> okay, so, okay, do you me. recall who went first in 2017? Oh, um, no. Oh, yeah, it was uh, Miles Garrett. Got it. Boom. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> number two. Mitch maybe, Trubisky. Trubisky. There we go. Yeah, the number GOAT, three, dude. Three, I don't think you're going to get this. I don't think I'm going to get it either. <laughs> I, I feel really good, though. Let's just quit while I'm ahead. I got the first two. You got all of them. Well, what was the team? So what was the what was the team? Can I have that? Uh, the 49ers. This would be quite impressive. You remember when, who went four? Four, we're talking about running backs. When a running back went ahead of McCaffrey. Wow. Holy shit. 
All right, let me just tell you. Yeah, just wait. Okay, so no, because that 2017. Yeah. What running back went in? This is insane. Yeah, okay, let's just do it. Let's just Leonard let's just do oh Leonard Fournette, right? How did Leonard Fournette feels like he's 20 years older than Christian McCaffrey? Yeah, yeah. How is that possible? Leonard Fournette is 45. He was drafted (laughs) when he was 42. Is it just because he's bald? Yeah, it's the bald beard combination. It makes you look like you're 50. He may have been drafted when he was 40 years old. How about this? Over under 23 when he was drafted. Over. Smash it. Yeah, over by 25 years. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, who was three? Who did the 49ers pick? Solomon Thomas. Oh, I wouldn't have gotten that. I would not have gotten that. <laughs> whenever, have whenever there's an off, or I was gonna say. End. I was gonna say it was it was someone on the line because I, there's no way. See, D line's easier because at least those guys are like fun. But unless yeah. you're Quinn Nelson, uh, if you're an O line guy, I'm not gonna remember your name. There's just yeah. a zero percent chance. Even yeah. if I don't care how high you're drafted, I'm not yeah. gonna remember your name. Yeah. Um, who is uh, so okay? So who's five? Corey Davis. I don't want to pan out too well. I was going to say considering Jamal Adams went six and McCaffrey went eight. Also, get this. Uh, this is a fun fact. I don't yeah, know. This is fun. This is fun. We should do this more often. A new segment. Go through drafts. Yeah. This is this is crazy. Bo Bo's a Bears fan, right? He is. Yeah. Okay, you might want to run this by him. I didn't realize this until I'm just now looking at the draft. Patrick Mahomes was drafted ten, and Deshaun Watson was twelve. The Bears yeah. took Mitch Trubisky. Okay. Just like, <laughs> Dude, it's crazy. No one's realized that. Oh, my you know God. That the Bears picked D- Mitchell Trubisky ahead of Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. Oh, my God. Get this. They traded up. They traded up. I know. It's the, cra- it's the craziest thing. Dude, I can't believe no one's talked Bo about that about before. This. You're going to have to tell Bo. I know. I, I will. I will. I don't know if he's hurt. What are they doing, dude? I don't know. That's really? actually pretty crazy. Yeah, because Patrick Mahomes is so good. Yeah, you know, no, you think really good, and just think you anyone know, you know would have been a no-brainer. Also, right? extra salt in the wound. Uh, Nathan Peterman went to the Bills that year, and we all know Nathan Peterman's a gunslinger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, I'd rather have him fly. than. Yeah, <laughs> I'd rather have him than Mr. Trubisky. I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. All right, so back to the NFL back to draft scenarios. scenarios. Here's a fun one. The yeah. Panthers pick someone with mono. <laughs> yeah. They just pick someone who has mono into, yeah. into the locker room. They pick Sam a new Dar- quarterback, and he also gets mono. Gives mono to Sam Darnold. For a second time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. both quarterbacks. They draft like <laughs> Justin, Trey Lance. He has mono. Lance has mono. He's in quarterback camp going over the playbook with Sam Darnold. Gives him mono again. Mono, <laughs> mono, Can you get mono. mono twice? No, not at all. Are you sure? No. No, no I'm not sure. <laughs> mono twice. Uh, yeah, most people only have it once. Well, that doesn't answer my question. Most people don't have it at all. Well, obviously. I know this only says most people who have mono will only have it once. Like, I I wonder if they can. That doesn't answer my question. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't answer the question at all. Yeah. I got mono. Have you ever had mono? No. Yeah. So I'm just wondering. I'm wondering if I got mono, am I I free now? 
Am I in the clear? I got mono like six years ago. That's probably the Panthers' number one question as they're talking yeah, all the Exactly. Defense. Have you already had mono? Yes. <laughs> Please tell us. How recently did you have mono? Yeah. What's the immunization period? <laughs> Last year. Oh, my God. Talk all right. You're in. <laughs> I like that. Uh, cool. Uh, <laughs> um, next, uh, next scenario that we got here. Um, Trevor Lawrence uh, gets drafted by the Jaguars, quits, doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, He cites not loving football enough for the reason that he quits. Yeah. Yeah. I think this one's actually pretty likely. I think it's entirely likely. over, Over under one and a half years of him wanting to be in the league. Oh yeah, he's and the thing is, second year he's gonna be like Aaron Rodgers. He's gonna start hosting Jeopardy. He's gonna start, you know, going on game shows. What other stuff does Aaron Rodgers do? Stop talking to his parents. Like he's yeah. gonna just like ruin his relationship. He's gonna with disconnect. Brother, yeah, exactly. Selling, he's gonna start selling safe State Farm. Yeah, and dating Danica Patrick. Dating Danica Patrick. Yeah. Uh, is Trevor Lawrence smart though? No, right? Yeah. I don't know. But like, I feel like Aaron Rodgers is like real person smart. He's not just like football yeah. player smart. Well, um, if Trevor Lawrence isn't smart and he doesn't love football, what is he? A bust. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Uh, another scenario, Trevor Lawrence. This one also pretty likely. Trevor Lawrence get obviously gets drafted by the Jags, shows up to training camp, is incredible, is just making dazzling throws is so good that Meyer kind of flips out at one of the throws, gets too excited, has another heart attack out for the season. <laughs> has to quit. Jags don't have a coach. Yes. Yeah. You know, Jags hire that Iowa strength and conditioning coach that they fired originally as their head coach. There you go. There yeah. You go. Yeah. Uh, cool. I feel like, I feel like, I like this is, those are the only two options there too. Similar to Mac Jones. Uh, Trevor yeah. Lawrence either quits football because he doesn't love it, or he's so good, or Meyer has a heart attack. They don't have a coach. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, next one. Uh, another more quarterback talk. Jets uh, take Zach Wilson at number two. He can't play for his first two years. Has to go on a mission trip to Guatemala. Because he's Mormon, and that's what they have to do. Also pretty likely. Yeah. While on the trip, you know, makes out with some Guatemalan women. Gets, gets mono. mono. <laughs> gets mono. Out in death. Out in Yes. <laughs> Better yet, goes on the mission trip, falls out of love with football because he's yes. discovered himself in some Latin American country. Uh, similarly, yes. brutal for the Jets. Either way, the Jets are getting fucked over. Yes. Draft. I don't know how they're going to do it, uh, but I don't see it happening. It has to. Yeah, it has to happen. Yeah. Um, here's another one. Broncos, John Elway just stops giving – he just gives up in evaluating quarterbacks. He's like, I've just missed too many times at this point. I can't handle another L. Uh, they just don't take a quarterback. Everyone's available. Um, literally, Justin Fields is still on the board. And uh, they're just like, no, we're Ryan Drew Locke. Then uh, Drew Locke becomes MVP of the league 
and turns out John Elway is a genius. Yeah, no, I can see that happening. I would love to see that. Um, just for Charles, friend of the show, Charles, just to see the Broncos not take a quarterback, him lose his mind, uh, and then actually see Drew Locke become good would be awesome. See, I, I totally agree with you, except for the part where Drew Locke becomes good. I oh, want to see Charles, Charles lose his mind. Just miserable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, last, last NFL draft scenario. Um, uh, Patriots trade up probably to number four, trade up to the Falcon spot, draft Kyle Pitts. Turns out he's also a murderer. <laughs> yeah, that would be. Yeah, he went to Florida. NFL draft scenario. He oh also went God, to Florida. To Florida. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a little concerning. Yeah, it's like Bill Belichick, do your job. All these tight ends just take as murdering people. Yeah, do your job. Job description: yeah. murder. Murder. <laughs> murder. <laughs> yeah, they take Mac like Jones. Know. Mac Jones becomes a Hall of Fame legendary quarterback. Kyle Pitts also somehow gets also somehow gets Kyle Pitts too. They also, get you get both of them. Yeah. Kyle Pitts just starts calling Tom Brady like dad and weird shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's yeah. like, this Kyle guy this, has this some is a little loose. weird. Yeah. <laughs> but no one talks about it enough because he's, you know, he's a great uh weapon in their offense. Great in weapon. Tight end well, offense. Literally a weapon. Guys, <laughs> yes, literally. This guy's a weekend warrior. Yeah, he's been murdering people this whole time. They might, at that point, it's got to be the Patriots are just targeting murderers in the draft. Yeah. That's just their yeah. draft process. Yeah, 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 100%. <laughs> Next year, they're just going to take Casey Anthony with the ninth pick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and those are some NFL draft scenarios. I remember those days I had no rights. I remember those days I had no sticks. And that was our show. Uh, next week, tune in. We're going to be talking a little NFL draft post coverage. Uh, so you heard our scenarios here this week, and we're going to be doing a little bit of reactions recap. Uh, so you're going to want to stick in for that. We're going to have Oliver Hodgkinson. He's an NFL draft analyst with Pro Football Network. So he is much more qualified to talk about the draft than we are. How sick is that as of a, of a title? NFL draft analyst, like not even just like a fo- like football reporter. Like I analyze the drafts. That's my entire job. It's yeah. like Christmas for this guy. Uh, oh yeah. I wonder I how like, busy it's crazy how busy he must be right now. Quite. I'd say yeah. <laughs> quite. Yeah. I have a feeling it'll be Christmas for this guy, just being able to cover the draft. Knowing how stupid the two of our teams are, uh, I don't know what they're gonna do wrong. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> What the Bengals and the Giants? <laughs> yeah, that wasn't yeah, go, a on, go on, go on, go <laughs> on. I don't know what our teams are gonna fuck up, but uh, we'll probably probably be in a bad mood about something. I if I if I am in a bad mood, I like that means something got royally fucked up because there's so many scenarios that the Bengals could do totally fine and I'd be happy with, and if they somehow found a scenario that I'm not happy about then they did something wrong they just take trey lance i don't want to talk about it you're like what <laughs> i don't want to talk about it <laughs> no dude they get to fucking take mike micah parsons 
at like a linebacker at five for no reason. And we have a good line. I don't know. This is too much draft talk. I don't want to talk about it. Let's Well, let's well you know what he on. has to say. Yeah. I have actually interesting things to say. Yeah, Be sure to yeah, subscribe yeah. so you know when we have new episode. Uh, also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sports Alec. All right, fam. Peace. Peace and love. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you. By now, you should have somehow realized what you gotta do. I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now. Because maybe... Because maybe...